Greyhound to trap one. Is that you, Yates? Where are you? Welcome to the Trap One Podcast. My name's Mark McManus. Joining me today to discuss the lie of the land by Toby Whithouse is Jason McLaughlin. Welcome to the podcast. Uh, good evening. Yeah. How, How are you? How are you? I'm very good, thanks. Good, good. Uh, so you enjoy this episode? I did, yeah. Um, it's, uh, it was one of those episodes that I thought I could always have benefited by being perhaps a little bit longer. Um which, you know, probably we'll get into more as we go through it. Um, But, yeah, I've really enjoyed this kind of, like, unofficial Monks trilogy, as they've uh, uh, labelled it. I thought it's been a good run of stories. Yeah, me too. I think um, it's kind of the first time this series we've had some out-and-out villains as well, in a way. Uh, So it's good that they made the big story out of it. The first uh, couple of episodes, did we? yeah. Uh, so I think you'd mentioned that uh, Toby Whithouse is one of your favourite new Doctor Who writers. Yeah, I've always liked his uh, his episode. Where where does this sit with um, with the other ones for you? Um, probably, I don't think it's one of his strongest ones. Um, like I say, I think it could have been done with being fleshed out a little bit more. Um, um, well, some of his uh, other stuff I've really enjoyed. School Reunion, obviously, is uh, one of the great ones. Uh, Vampires of Venice, I really liked. Yeah. And I was a huge fan of the two-parter that he did for last series, which was the underwater base um, yeah, story. Un- under the lake and before the flood, yeah. They... Yes, yeah, so I thought it was a very, very uh, uh, strong two-parter. Yeah, I really uh, like so that one. Enjoyed yeah. Definitely agree about School Reunion as well. That's that's one of my favourites. Just the uh, the nostalgia in that one is uh, yeah, just makes me absolutely love it. I remember reading about um, the the scene from the Christmas Invasion where the TARDIS is following the, the taxi with Donna in it. That originally that they wanted to do that with Sarah Jane in School Reunion. Oh really? Yeah, I didn't know that. And it's just one of those things. I think I kind of wish I didn't know that now because much as I love that scene with Donna. Yeah. It would have been amazing if uh, if Sarah Jane was the one being kidnapped in the back of the car and she sort of looks out and, and sees the TARDIS kind of flying along. Um, well, then, you, I, I do. That is actually my favourite Christmas special, that one. Um, just, I just, sheer adventure of it is, is brilliant. And I, like you say, the, the TARDIS chasing uh, the taxi on the motorway is, is a brilliant um, scene. And I love Donna's... Um, Reaction when she winds down the window and says, Santa's a robot. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think we would have got that if it was Sarah Jane, would we? No, that's true. Yeah, I think I think that Christmas special was really, uh, some of my mates that weren't watching Doctor Who or anything, they saw that and um, it seemed to go down really well generally. You know, not yes. just with the fans, it was, a, it was a strong one, wasn't it? It was indeed. And obviously then the year later we got the, the one with Kylie in it where it went absolutely... Uh, Stratospheric, didn't it? With yeah. Uh, rating. Yeah, I think it's, it's the highest rating of the new series, still, isn't it? I believe that's. Uh, yeah, yeah. Even the fiftieth didn't quite get to those levels. Yeah. Uh, so when what was the first? Do you remember the first Doctor Who story that you saw when you when you started to get into it or anything? Uh, 
well, I mean, as, as far as I know, I've, I've always been a Doctor Who fan. Um, I've, some of my earliest memories are of the show. Um, obviously, uh, a lot of the Philip Hinchcliffe, Tom Baker stuff. Um, I don't have, I have very vague memories of stuff like Genesis of the Daleks and uh, the Android Invasion, and um, particularly Brain of Morbius. Uh, I remember being very scared of that one as a kid. But the first one I can really actually remember watching and remember it like from the beginning and the weekly, like tune in, in every week, uh, is The Hand of Fear, uh, uh, which was Jane's last story. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I re- really remember the, the, the hand of Eldrad crawling along and it being in the Tupperware box as well. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> my gran, obviously, um, of that era, having a lot of Tupperware, being quite yeah. <laughs> uh, a bit of what in a kitchen cupboard. Uh, so, yeah, um, that's probably my, my earliest concrete memory of the show. Brilliant. So, I think I saw that you'd, you'd said on Twitter um, uh, about your own kid being quite scared of it the other week. Yeah, um, he, he used to watch it on a regular basis, um, but um, obviously because it's not been on as recently in last year, we we really didn't get the series at all, did we? Mm. He's kind of like not really got into it much. Um, he watched the third episode, um, the one with the, the big fish under the ice yeah. in Victorian times, and he really enjoyed that. Um and then, obviously, he saw the teaser trailer at the end um, for Knock Knock, and he was kind of like, I don't want to watch that, yeah. Daddy, it looks too scary. And I said, okay, that's fine, you know. Um, so, obviously, the following week, he went to bed, and I started to watch Knock Knock, because I had it on a delay. I had I'd paused it. Uh, and he kind of, like, came back downstairs and said oh I've changed my mind I want to watch it and I said are you really sure and he kind of like said yes and so we started watching it and obviously that one was a even for me I thought it was particularly quite creepy yeah with the whole knocks like uh on the walls and the the creaking floorboards and everything and um yeah he he did have a a bit of trouble sleeping for the the following two nights after that (laughs) and he'd not uh, wanted to watch the show since (laughs) (laughs) how old is he he's six he'll be seven next month so So it's kind of like the key age isn't it of uh, when you remember hiding behind the sofa and and the cliche comes with it of doctor who being scary but it's nice to know that the show can actually still do do that and still does its job. Definitely, yeah, because it's kind of imprinting on you at that age, isn't it? With a you know kind of a, a bit of a scare. It's, uh, oh yeah, yeah. So uh, so yeah, he hasn't watched any. Doesn't he? Didn't go for oxygen or anything because I guess that would have been a maybe even creepier with the with the corpses and. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I did make the um, the decision of like, well, you're definitely not. If you thought that one was scary, yeah. you're definitely not. What, what, Base zombies. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, he he didn't watch that one, and he hasn't watched the ones with the monks. Yeah, because <laughs> so, they're, they're quite a very very creepy uh, image. They are, aren't they? Yeah. Brilliant makeup, and uh, yeah, and they could, they are quite scary. I was listening to um, interview with uh, Peter Harness on the um, on Philip Sanders' podcast, the Tardis Eridatorum. 
Um, oh yes, and he was the one that kind of came up with the idea of the monks, and it was based on mummies, like you know, when they find kind of preserved mummies in pyramids or kind of stuff like yeah. that. Yeah, uh, and then when you see those on the on the news, that was the kind of the image that, that they had for it. Um, uh-huh. So it is, uh, and it's, again, it's that thing that you might see, you know, kids might see on the news, and then they see it on Doctor Who, and they're animated. It, it kind of taps into those uh, those things that you see. Uh, in real life, doesn't it? I, I love it when Doctor yeah. does stuff like that. And I guess, like you say, with Knock Knock, you know, all houses kind of creak a bit, don't they? You know, like you, they cool down at night, and you, you hear noises. And they do indeed. And uh, obviously, I've got a few creaky floorboards in my house, and I think that's particularly after um, the episode had finished and he'd then gone to bed. But I think that's what really did um, kind of like um, keep waking him up. Yeah, he's. Ever- and you walk somewhere and there's a, there's a creek and it's like, what's that? And it's yeah. like, no, it's, it's okay. <laughs> uh, that's brilliant. So did you enjoy this episode? I did, yeah. Um, I, to, to be fair, I, I've felt it's been a really, really strong run, to be quite honest. Um, there's not really been a particular duff episode yet this series. No. It's, uh, in my opinion. Yeah, the standard's been really high. Yeah, it's... Um, you know, normally you get at least one or two episodes where you're a bit like, nah, you know, or, oh, that was awful, or, yeah. But, uh, I've just been really, really pleased. Every single week's been a very, very enjoyable, um, like, you know, episode. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, there hasn't been a sort of a sleep no more that's been kind of universally panned as well. Although, to be fair, I, I didn't mind sleep no more. I thought, thought it was kind of like, okay, you know. Yeah, it's, uh, it, it was trying to do something different and interesting. Uh, I think some yeah, of it, uh, the show had never done before. Yeah, I think some of it was in the execution. Um, uh, yeah, and there is those kind of, the, there's a certain group of writers, isn't there, that no matter what they do, they seem to just... Um, ignite that kind of those comments from yeah. certain areas who just don't like anything that they write. Yeah, and I think obviously Mark Gatiss is is one of those writers. You know, yeah, he could he write the absolute classic story, but there'd be a large contingent on the internet that still wouldn't like it. Yeah, I find Stephen Moffat as well. There's there's people that will just kind of just slam anything he does. Um, yeah. And you know, over the years, he's done so many different things. Um, and you wonder if there was no writer's title, uh, you know, if the episodes would still attract the same kind of fire. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, but it's interesting because when, when he was obviously wasn't the showrunner and he was writing for Russell T Davies's like um, version of, of the series, um, all his episodes came in for praise. And then when he suddenly like takes over, yeah, it's like he the black that Russell T Davis was getting for for running the show and 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 starts getting the flack for the episodes. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it is like poison chalice, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it's been quite a sort of uh, an RTD or Moffat kind of dichotomy, I suppose. It'll be interesting with Chibnall come along, you know, who, who uh, you know, where he falls in the Everyone's got the kind of their favourite, or a lot of people seem to have their favourite between RTD and Moffat, where Chibnall will fall yeah. in, this, uh, in this kind of thing. 
Well, yeah, and he's he's not exactly the he, again. He's another one of those writers who kind of like you know seems to not be popular at all. Uh, you know, if you go on places like Gallifrey Base and yeah, you know, forums like that. Um, um, he, I remember when he was announced. Was it last year? Yeah, there was a lot of like um, uh, you know name calling and you know saying that he wasn't suitable or he's going to ruin the show or and he's kind of like well just just give the guy a chance yeah. <laughs> you know he's not started yet but uh, he's he's not coming in with the the sort of the classics under his belt that Moffat did um but at the same time as Steve Moffat said you know we haven't really seen Chibnall's vision because he's always worked under the auspices of of somebody else um, yeah, yeah, and not coming yeah. in with that weight of expectation, you know, might well work for him as well. True, and obviously he he does have experience, you know, show running. He, he obviously he was in charge of effectively Torchwood, wasn't he? When yeah, and, and David basically Lo- doing everything. Law and Order UK as well. I think he was the. Uh, I think he was a showrunner. Like, he seemed, he certainly seemed to write most of the episodes anyway. Yeah, yeah. I suppose kind of a moderate success, wasn't it? And obviously, you know, Broadchurch was has been a huge success. So, you know, it's a, a case of, you know, he can certainly write a, a good, you know, drama. Yeah. Um, and hopefully and that... you know, I've not minded these episodes. These episodes have been, you know, always enjoyable. Yeah. There's never been a bad one. Um, so, yeah, it, it's obviously dependent on who he casts as the new Doctor and, and you know, what his vision of the show is, so... Yeah, absolutely. I think it'll probably probably going to be after this series that they'll make the announcement, won't it? I don't think they're going to sort of. Uh, it would seem, you know, it kind of it would detract a little bit from the attention of this series, wouldn't it? If a new Doctor's announced during it, I'm guessing we're not it, going to hear anything until afterwards. Yeah, you're probably right. Yeah. It's probably going to be nearer to Christmas, isn't it? That will, yeah, if we do anything. Yeah, brilliant, brilliant. If they keep it a surprise, though. It would be, it would be, because, um, I mean, I don't know if you've seen much of the rumours of that the show particularly might not be back in production after Moffat and Capaldi are finished until, like, um, early next year. Yeah, I've read that, yeah, that it might be, we might be looking at an autumn uh, kind of show for next year. Yeah, which, you know, I think it's like they've made the whole issue of moving it back to the spring and now yeah. they've kind of like shifted it back to the autumn. But there is that persistent rumour that they're moving it to Sunday nights instead. Oh, um, I didn't know that one. Did you not? No, no. to keep it away because obviously Strictly is the issue, isn't it? That with Strictly come dancing, but Doctor Who, when Strictly's on, it can't really start any earlier than about quarter past eight, half past eight. So, yeah. And that doing the damage for Series 9, ratings-wise, really, I yeah. think. Yeah, because it was on quite late, wasn't it? It was, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that would be quite interesting, because uh, I suppose other stuff on a Sunday night slot does do quite well. Downton Abbey was always on on a Sunday, wasn't it? Um, Sherlock, yeah. you know, when occasionally it is on, is on on a Sunday. And it's quite a sort of... There's not usually anything good on on a Sunday. It's quite a, an untapped market, probably. Certainly for a family show, you know, yeah. if you could find a, a very good like half six, seven o'clock slot on BBC One before like um, like Antiques Roadshow or Call the Midwife, I think that yeah. would be a, 
very good slot for the show, to be quite honest. Yeah, and people are in as well, aren't they? That's the thing. You, you tend to be in on a Sunday yeah. night more than a Saturday night. Yeah, yeah. I think um, I'm a bit of a ratings junkie. Um, obviously, it's, and you, you pay attention to that. And I think, is it Sunday night or Monday night are the two biggest nights where people do stay in and watch television, ah, right. where they have the total audiences, mm. uh, you know, like about, you know, so other nights can have like only 17 million people across the country watching TV. But when you get to Sunday and Mondays, it goes up to like 24, 26, you know. So there's a, there's more, if there's more of a potential audience to watch the show, then it's going to get a bigger viewing figure. Yeah. It's weird they don't put more good stuff on on a Sunday, isn't it? <laughs> it is. It's strange, yeah. Sunday's usually the one night you just can't find anything, I find. No, that you know, other than what you've got, kind of Netflix and on, you know, kind of a Sky Planner or whatnot. Well, this is it. I mean, obviously, um, you know how people watch TV has just changed dramatically, hasn't it, in the last like ten years or so? Yeah, definitely. Like you started with iPlayer, and obviously now you've got more streaming services. I mean, to be fair, if it's not Doctor Who, I can't really name another TV program. I'll actively watch live now. I just seem to record it all and watch it back when I can. You know. Yeah, I'm exactly the same. There's um, there's nothing apart from Doctor Who that I uh, that I'll watch as broadcast whenever I can. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so if you're ready, we will press play on uh, the Lie of the Land. Yeah. Okay. Titles on. Okay. So. That's it. That's playing now, and we've got the uh, the propaganda video with the the doctor uh, telling yeah. us that the the monks have been there right from the start. Indeed, yeah, with the primordial um, like coming out of the primordial yeah. see how they've shaped human history, which I thought was a very um, it's a very Doctor Who idea, that isn't it? Yeah, it made me think of the City of Death, where they they obviously travel back at the end to that point of. Um, the you know the primordial soup uh, and that being kind of the spark of life being triggered by the scour spaceship blowing up um but yes. then also the the idea of the the jaguaroth being woven through history and you even get the uh, the mona lisa um but with a monk instead of instead of the woman yeah i thought that was a very clever touch yeah yeah it all made me uh maybe think of the city of death there but it's also uh, it's also something that's been used in other stories, isn't it? Like the demons and um, image of the Fendal. Like they've kind of like you know they've shaped history as as um, you know they've gone along and they've helped mankind uh, come to a certain point in their evolution. That's it. Yeah, it's another way I think that the monks um, kind of mirror the Doctor. Um, last week it was a bit like you know the uh, the pyramid arriving was a little bit. You know, like the TARDIS materialising and the, the the way that they showed the the military leaders the potential future was a bit like the way um, the Doctor does with Sarah Jane in the Pyramids of Mars. I think in this one, it you know, they're taking the credit for defeating the Daleks and the Cybermen and, and kind of helping humanity, um, yeah. which has basically been the Doctor's role in uh, in the series in uh, with humanity. Indeed, yeah. Um, and obviously we've got this totalitarian um, government and regime that's kind of like that operate for the monks. Yeah. Uh, 
it was, I thought it was a brilliant touch and the whole uh, mention of like you've been detained under the um, fake um, truths act or fake memories act of 1975 and well they've not been here that long and yeah. um, this part of the probably the bits of the episode that I felt we could have perhaps seen a lot more of um, and could have like fleshed it out and it is one of the problems that I feel that sometimes the new series has is they have cracking stories but you do think when you get to the end of the episode you think that should have really been a two-part episode rather than a one-part because they sometimes try and cram too much into that 45 minutes yeah absolutely Uh, bit of a wasted opportunity with this you could have really have seen a bit more of the whole totalitarian 1984 style um regime that the monks had brought in um since um you know they'd um agreed to bill's request to save the doctor last in the previous episode yeah definitely i think yeah to, to see more of kind of everyday life would have been uh, would have been Good in this one. The other thing is, I find yeah. quite strange is that there isn't really a showdown between the monks and the doctor. Um, I don't I think I'm right in saying they don't have any dialogue in this, do they? No, not at all. No, because they had obviously they had quite a lot in the first two episodes. Yeah, um, yeah, that's something that actually, yeah, um, that's a very good point. I hadn't actually realised that uh, until you pointed it out. There, you, you don't actually hear from them even when they get into the um, the pyramid towards the end of the episode. Uh, fake news central, as, yeah. as I think the doctor called it, um, with the monk that sat there broadcasting the the fake memories out to everybody. Um, even he doesn't have any dialogue. No, no, he's, uh, he's quite responsive and just just plugged in, isn't he? Uh, it just feels weird I, after last week of having that those kind of um, that kind of to and fro with the doctor and the monks, not to kind of bookend it with some uh, with, with some kind of a showdown. Yeah, I mean, um, I'm not sure if you're aware of some of the online theories that have been going around. Um, I think it was Clayton Hickman, um, you know, the former magazine uh, editor. Yeah. Um, somebody had pointed out, or I think he had tweeted something um, about the potentially somebody's seen that the monks might develop into like the the Cybermen. Yeah, I I've, that thought crossed my mind as well because of the way that they when they speak. They like the original Cybermen. Their mouths just open, but their jaws yeah. don't sort of, um, you know, make the sounds or anything, do they? they? They just open and the sound comes out, mm. which seems weird in a series when we know we're getting those original Cybermen back um, to have two. The only time in Doctor Who that you have aliens that do that <laughs> to have them in the same series. So, yeah, and also I think it was in the last week's episode, the Pyramid episode where one of the monks in particular had quite hollowed out eyes that looked very much like the the original Cybermen. And I thought, is that a deliberate thing that they've done? And yeah. um, I'm aware of Kit Peddler's original idea that the, the Cybermen were supposed to be a race of space monks. So whether Stephen Moffat's like picked up on that and that's where this is all leading to, I don't know. It's, but it's an interesting theory. It is because I think the monks say last week as well that um, they this isn't their kind of natural appearance, that they they look like this for the humans. So it leaves yeah. leave it wide open to to them being something else, uh, especially after sort of dark water because they, they, 
appearances disguised in that, isn't there? When they're in the tanks, um, yes, they look like the, the skeletons. Uh, so just before I miss the uh, the Magpie Electricals uh, little reference again, that's been uh, been throughout the modern series. Yeah, um, I was actually watching this episode with uh, one of my friends on Saturday, uh, and she said, oh, look, there's Magpie Electricals. And he said, yeah, have you never noticed that? It does pop up every so often in the show. Uh, I think it was on uh, Matt Smith's TARDIS console at one point. Yeah, and uh, Peter Capaldi's amp is, is Magpie as well, yes. isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, that, I mentioned to her, I said, uh, yeah, if you, next time you watch the series, look at his amp and it has the Magpie logo on it. And, uh, I like those like, nice little touches that they put in occasionally. Yeah, and I think they even make it onto Starship UK, don't they, on the, on the Beast Below? I think there's some there's some Magpie stuff on there, I believe. Yeah, it is, yeah. Uh, so. so, obviously, we've got the, the scene with uh, Nardole's turned up. Yeah, interrupting yeah. Bill speaking with her mum, which has been, uh, obviously, becomes important in this episode, but it's been a nice thread through the series with, um, yeah, in the pilot, she's got kind of little sayings that she attributes to her mum, but that she's kind of imagined that her mum would say. Mm. Um, the one thing I'm surprised that they haven't done yet is um, they've kind of not really made much of the issue of that particular photograph that we saw in the pilot where you could see the reflection of the 12th Doctor taking Bill's mum's photo. Yeah. Uh, um, I thought that might have come out in this particular episode, obviously, because um, Bill's mum, like you say, towards the end, is like quite at the, the forefront of the, the resolution. Um, so whether that's something that we've yet to see or... Because um, obviously the 12th Doctor must... Um, have met her at some point because he had all the photographs. Yeah, and it's uh, not clear if Bill really knows that those photos were from the Doctor because when she looked at that picture, she kind of frowns at it but then puts it to one side because it it's not entirely... I mean, I guess afterwards, now once she knew that he had a time machine, she probably put two and two yeah. together. Um, but at the time, she didn't really seem to, uh, to think about it. So it's something you'd think she would ask him about quite a lot. Um, if she yeah. knew that he'd done that, uh, this is quite nice as well. The uh, it's like the Michael McIntyre man drawer, isn't it? That uh, uh, Nardole found the Doctor's um, gadget in a drawer with uh, some takeaway menus and the Danish Krona. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, thought, uh, I, I have enjoyed uh, Matt Lucas. Uh, I know again he had uh, quite a few detractors. Uh, when he was announced as a, a regular for this series, but I've, I've really enjoyed his character and uh, the way they've kind of like fleshed him out. Yeah, um, definitely. Yeah, um, I think he's not as uh, not as broad as well as you might have expected from Little Britain and uh, and other things. He's a lot of times quite nuanced, isn't he? There's a lot of subtlety to his performance. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's very similar to um, Catherine Tate, isn't it? How yeah. She was the one in a Christmas special and then obviously they brought, uh, you know, Donna back and they then opened up that character and you saw a lot more of, of Donna throughout that series. And um, we're seeing little glimpses of Nardole. Obviously, he's not the main companion, but we are seeing 
bits and bobs of, of, of more aspects to his character than what we originally saw in The Husbands of uh, River Song. Yeah. I like the implication in the um, the pilot when he was kind of like a bit creaky and squeaky as if like he's kind of like his actual body it's implied that that's a robot body and the yeah. doctor's just rescued Ed and obviously given him a robot body to you know, then walk around. So whether that actually becomes the case or we see that later on in the series, I don't know. Yeah, you got to think that might tie in with the Cybermen as well because he's got um, he's still got organic components, doesn't he? We know he's got he's got the human lungs that uh, that you know made him get poisoned last week at the uh, at the lab. <laughs> so he's got that sort of uh, cyborg type thing that the Cybermen have. Thing I thought about with the uh, with with Bill um, kind of narrating events to a mum a little bit, um, it might work well in with their big finish in the future. Uh, should they get uh, Pearl Mackey um, in to do some Twelfth Doctor stories, you know, in terms of narration and and kind of explaining what's going on, uh, these little kind of postcard postcards to a mum almost would. Uh, would help with that side of things in telling the story, wouldn't it? If she does a companion chronicle, for example. Yeah, that would be a very good idea. Uh, um, obviously, you know, it, particularly like, um, I, I don't think Peter Capaldi will do a, a Christopher Eccleston and refuse to do Big Finish, but, um, it, you know, if they ever do have that situation or they can't get hold of Peter for whatever reason, then that would be a nice way around it, wouldn't it? Yeah. Um, I thought the same thing a couple of weeks ago, actually, when... Uh, where when the doctor was blind and Nardole was explaining, uh, you know what was going on to him, uh, you know you could set a big finish, you know in, in between oxygen and um, extremis as well with uh, with those two, uh, and it would get around the audio medium a little bit by having Nardole explain the action for the doctor's benefit. Uh, yeah, that's no, a good yeah. idea. I think because they can they can record stories, you know, so much quicker for big finish than on TV as well. Uh, yeah, you'd like to think that. that Peter Capaldi would uh, would fit it in, wouldn't you? And he's such a fan. Oh, yeah, it's, uh... I mean, I, I loved the, uh, the the David Tennant um, ones that they did with uh, Catherine Tate, uh, yeah. and I'm looking forward to the uh, the Billy Piper um, releases that are coming up. Um, but I'm also hoping that Matt Smith will uh, will sign up as well at, at some point. Yeah, absolutely. Always like like with the classic doctors, really interesting to see. Doctors written by new people as well, and see new takes on it. Indeed, and obviously we've uh, we've arrived at the the Doctor's hideout. Yeah, with the with the Doctor apparently working for the monks. I thought this speech was very good that he gives about why he's working for them, because it's almost plausible, isn't it? Yes, um, as in look look at how many examples, how many chances the human race has been given. And look, I, you know, you've had your chance, and I need to work with these benevolent um, aliens because, you know, the human race is just going to yeah. end up destroying itself. Um, so it was a nice little twist on that because normally he would work against that, but um, obviously at, at this moment in time, you're thinking that he is, you know, on the side of the monks. Yeah. And so kind of poignant at the moment as well with um, kind of the rise of Trump and, you know, kind of things like that that are going on in the real world. Yeah, indeed, yeah. It's, uh, 
I think if this had been maybe the 12th Doctor a couple of seasons ago, it would have been even more convincing that, uh, you know, with all these kind of his pudding brain and, you know, all that kind of um, aspect of the character that he had, he had uh, then, it had been very convincing that he'd, he'd joined them. It would, yeah. Yeah, because in that uh, Series 8, he was very, very uh, offstandish, wasn't he? Mm -hmm. Um, Towards everybody. Um, And obviously, a lot of people, um, a lot of fans have said, oh, well, that that was the turning point for the series, and that's what's um, obviously turned viewers off the show. And, yeah, viewing ratings have gone down slightly, but they've not gone down to the the extent that some... um, fans are, are decreeing and saying that the show is going to be cancelled any moment now. No, absolutely. And and the time shift in viewing is is so huge now. I mean, even since Doctor Who came back, you know, in 2005, the Eccleston series, I was recording those on blank VHS videos that I'd, I'd gone out and bought specially, and now it's... Yes. It's, you know, it's, it's a whole different way of viewing. You know, you can, you can watch it on any of your devices, you can download it, you're... Uh, Watch it at any time. Exactly, it, it's there at your fingertips, isn't it? Whereas, like you know, back in the day, it was like if you watched it once, that was it. You, yeah. If you missed an episode, you, it never got repeated, or it very rarely got repeated. Like perhaps, like in the summer, yeah, when they show a couple of like stories. Um, but it is a case of like you relied on stuff like either yeah. the VHS afterwards or. Or the target novels, you know. That's it. Uh, um, Pearl Mackey's performance really sells this. The uh, the despair that the Doctor has turned. She's brilliant in this scene. Yeah, she is. I, I think she's been a real huge breath of fresh air. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I really liked um, Jenna Coleman. Uh, mm. Really enjoyed Clara's arc. Um, but she was kind of like the the Lord of the Rings style companion is that she had so many exits where she didn't yeah. quite leave. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like by the time she did actually go, I was kind of like, well, come on. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it, time to have another companion. And I think um, it is a shame Capaldi's leaving um, because I think he's worked really well with having somebody who wasn't Clara. Yeah. And in a whole new aspect to his doctor now that it is just a shame that just as he seems to be really growing into the role that he's now stepping down. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, the scene with her pointing the gun at him uh, was very well, brilliantly written. Yeah. I wish we hadn't seen it in the in the next time trailer. I think this it would have been much more shocking and powerful. Yeah, and obviously it's, it's brilliantly acted, like you say, by yeah. both, both the leads. And then obviously she shoots him. Yeah, that's when we did this that particular bit where where you see him, we see her shoot him. It was in the, it was in the next time trailer, I think. It would have been really shocking because it'd been something you'd been watching, thinking, "Well, she's not going to shoot him." Uh, mm. And then she does. It's uh, seeing the, the companion shoot the doctor. I mean, it's, um, makes you wonder what Turley was doing all those episodes, just messing about, really, doesn't it? So. <laughs> <laughs> he was lurking around in the TARDIS corridors, yeah. trying to get. Uh, with the black guy, he wasn't yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I wasn't sure here that I mean, presumably the doctor is using a bit of regeneration energy there. Yeah, it's show. not obviously 
the blanks, isn't it? It's it's implied that obviously he's not been shot and he's just using it for show. Yeah. Um, but I, but he, I thought very clever of them to use that in the original trailers for the show and yeah, um, you know, before the series was had started, um, because obviously that coincided with you know Peter's announcement that he was leaving. Um, I do think that perhaps they could have made a bit more of it, like they did with the whole David Tennant, um, The Stolen Earth. Yeah, thing. made it a cliffhanger, yeah. it's. Um, it just seemed it was odd because it, it, she was by the time she fired the bullet, she was already convinced. So I feel like it was a bit unnecessary. And does it mean that yeah. she now knows about regeneration? Because it seemed like it was a bit of a, a bit of a point a few weeks ago when he mentioned regeneration, and then when she asked what it was, he quickly sort of just said, "Oh, never mind," and uh, you know, kind of backed away from it. I, I kind of like it when the companions don't know about regeneration until it happens, and it comes as a shock to them. Yeah, yeah, I like that more than, and I don't think we've really had that since Rose with with the Ninth Doctor. The oh yeah, she's now very, very to, uh, the tenth Doctor, wasn't she at first? And yeah, I, I like it that the the Doctor can sort of say, "Well, you know, I'm dying, but but this something's going to happen." Um, I think that works works a lot better. It seemed, like, especially with the tenth Doctor, can everybody knew about regeneration? Even Wilf, in the end of time, um, when they're sitting in the cafe, he says, "Oh, but you told me once that you can regenerate," and he just think like. It's a, the little bit of the mystery of the character's gone there. If he's just kind of sitting down with everybody and uh, <laughs> uh, you know explaining the, the sort of the, the time lord secrets and mysteries. Um, yeah, so yeah, yeah. I thought they were maybe going to go that way with um, with Bill and and not have her know about it until the moment, sort of thing. Yeah, and it takes away that jeopardy, doesn't it? Sometimes of the show because if all the characters kind of like, no, well. Oh well, you're not going to die if you do this last-minute thing to save everybody at the end of the episode because you'll just regenerate. Yeah, you know, so everybody knows that. It kind of like it, there's not as much tension as the what what there should be at like you know the you know the ending of an episode when the Doctor's doing something heroic because they're kind of like going, oh well, it doesn't matter. You'll just change. Yeah. This, uh, I wasn't really sure why he crashed the ship either <laughs> into the. No, uh... like he's he's been working for six months undercover, yeah. <laughs> uh, tending to work with the monks, and then suddenly he decides to then blow his cover and then crash the ship, and then um, they seem to like be running around to then try and get to the vault where obviously we find out that it's it's missing in the vault. Yeah, because it alerts the monks, doesn't it? She says, "Well, they were there waiting for us." You think, well. If you'd yeah. sneak back, they wouldn't have been. <laughs> if you just like sailed into the harbour as normal and then just snuck off the boat. Yeah. I suppose it's that I kind thought, of doctory sort of um, big bold statement, isn't it? Of uh, you know, I'm I'm coming to get you, sort of thing. Yeah, it's, I suppose. Yeah, very much in in character, I suppose. Yeah, I the, thought these scenes were very well done with um, Missy yeah. in the vault. I, I really like Michelle Gomez. I think she's uh, she's excellent in this part. Uh, yes. And interesting, uh, this is the first time she's not been written by Stephen Moffat as well. Um, yes, um, I saw an interview with uh, Toby Whithouse in the 
in the magazine where he mentioned obviously he was quite honoured to be the first writer not to besides Moffat to actually write dialogue for Misty. Yeah. And and, and he got, nails got it, I think, as well, yeah. Yeah. And and so much you wonder how much of the performances in the script, the way she uses loads of different accents and you know how much that is, is kind of prescribed and how much of it she yeah. brings to it. You know, she switches between sort of Scottish and then uh, I think she there's a point where she says something she sounds really like Jennifer Saunders, I thought. I'm sure that must all come from her. Yeah. Um, it is, I think it's one of those where obviously the, the actor takes the part and it's very much like when somebody takes over as the Doctor, they take the part, you write a generic kind of character as the Doctor and then they they take the part and they run with it and they add their own bits to it. Yeah. Um, I thought the de- delivery of here where they find out that obviously to defeat the monks, um, you know, one of the ways to defeat them is to kill um, Bill or Bill to sacrifice herself. And the, Michelle's delivery of the awkward yeah. uh, was, was just like on the nose, brilliant. Yeah. Very like the character. So the, they do work very well. Yeah. It, it must be one of those things where it, it must be hard for the other actors to keep a straight face, I think. And, uh, because she's she's so brilliant, so funny with it. Yeah. The the nature of the vault's quite weird, I think, isn't it? Because it must be bigger on the inside. You know, when you uh, in extremis, when you see the vault rise out of the water, the outside yes. of it is nowhere near this big. But then it's got windows, and there's the kind of uh, the glass case within the vault. Yeah, with the force field on it. Uh, yeah. So, but it's like it's. Obviously, they touch upon it later on uh, that she's under some kind of therapy in the vault. Yeah. Going to term, she's with what she's done as, as the master throughout her life. Yeah. Uh, which I thought was a very interesting touch. And however, that's going to end up leading into uh, John Sim coming back into it. Yeah. I'm very interested to see how it's going to work. Very much so. Yeah, I can't wait for that. Uh, remind me a little bit of that last Sherlock as well, where um, they've got Sherlock's sister in the in the glass case with the instrument. She is the violin, isn't it? In her case, yes. Uh, where Misha's yeah, got the piano, um, and uh, the Doctor being the sort of the, the Sherlock having the seat outside of it and, and communicating with her. Uh, I like yeah. the uh, the thing a couple of episodes back when Nardole said laughing because could, they could hear piano music and he kind of yeah. had a go at the doctor saying you've put a piano in there yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah I think that once uh, you saw the uh, again saw the vault in Extremis <laughs> thought it, it must be bigger on the inside then yeah um, to uh, to put the piano in there I kind of was wondering if it was um, Mrs Tardis. Um, yeah, or perhaps it's like going back to the idea of um, like uh, the Genesis arc, which is a time loop prison, isn't it? Yeah, that we saw like in Doomsday.
Yeah, it's when she said uh, the, uh, the. I made note of it when uh, when Missy says that you should, when she's going absolutely freezing to the doctor when it's like the, the warm or cold on the plan. I if I kind of thought she was doing an impression of Jennifer Saunders. It sounded really like it, but whether she's just doing kind of a that kind of an English accent and it comes out like that. Yeah. Uh, but then they get the awkward bit. That's excellent. <laughs> Even though the subtitles have drawn it out with sort of three W's in uh, in awkward. Yeah. But again, Pearl Mackie's absolutely brilliant in, in, in this episode. Yeah. Yeah, she really makes it, it doesn't she? It is a bit of a shame that, um, you know, if the rumours are true that, you know, she's only going to be around for one series. And yeah. We're going to complete fresh start for the Chibnall era, like with no carryovers at all. Hopefully when Chibnall sees this, though, he's... Uh, I mean, obviously, it depends what um, what Bill's fate is within the, within this series, I suppose, whether it's, uh, it's possible to bring her back. Um, yeah. So I just, I just hope that they, they give her a good write out, or they don't do one of these fake, uh, like kind of like death things that yeah, uh, kind of like do all the time uh, recently. You know, whereas like you know, you know, poor poor Adrielic, you know, stay, <laughs> stay dead, he rescued or anything. You know? Yeah, you know, this bit where as as the as they leave um, and the doctor's going back to his his base. And you get the, the voiceover from Missy, and you see her eyes superimposed over the sky. That kind of reminded me of the start of the TV movie because you get that with the uh, with the master's eyes in that, don't you? And then do they sort of? Yeah. Uh, I think there's a transition into into a into a couple of planets, if I'm remembering rightly. Um, but that thing of just just seeing yeah, the eyes, right. yeah. I didn't tweak that at all. Yeah, that's a very good uh, touch uh, from the director. If that's what they've uh, done a parallel of. Yeah, it'd be great if they got Eric Roberts back as well, wouldn't it? If that was going to, if he was going to turn up alongside uh, John Sim, that'd be a, a quite a surprise. <laughs> a multiple master story. Yeah. Uh, and this bit, I, I, I think I didn't, and I don't think anybody had picked up on until Matt Lucas tweeted. He's um, he's knitting a fourth Doctor scarf in this scene, isn't he? Yeah, I saw that tweet as well. Yeah, I picked up on that originally. Yeah, it's quite um, it's quite dark and not easy to see as well. But uh... but it, it's not as obvious as like the uh, the pot of um, sonic screwdrivers on his desk. No. <laughs> No, definitely. And again, this is another aspect of the whole kind of like how I thought that perhaps, you know, had they devoted a bit more time to it, of, it's the kind of thing that you would have got more in the, the classic series of them infiltrating the pyramid a bit more, whereas we just kind of got the one-off scene of them, you know, suddenly arriving at the pyramid and then sneaking in into the entrance. It's kind of like... Sometimes you'd, you'd like to see a bit more of that and yeah. something that 45-minute you know, episode doesn't really allow for. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's quite easy for them, that part, isn't it? The, uh, the infiltration. I, I like this line where the, uh, the doctor says the, uh, the transmitter doesn't stand a chance. 
it's uh, I like it when the Doctor has a little bit of kind of uh, arrogance like that. It's, uh, the Sixth Doctor got a similar line in the Twin Dilemma, doesn't he? With uh, is it Nestor? And he said that uh, you know his, his mind will be like a pebble in the ocean of of the Doctor's mind. Oh, he's Something trying like to take him over. Yeah. yeah. I do feel that um, obviously when uh, the Twelfth Doctor arrived. Um, I, I remember tweeting this, and uh, I think a few other people, uh, you know, said similar on forums and stuff. He's like, I felt that the Twelfth Doctor, the way he behaved towards people, and he's kind of like arrogance and like not really, you know, tolerating certain kinds of people and not really having much personal skills, mm-hmm. was very much like the Sixth Doctor, but obviously done a lot better yeah it was almost as if six doctor um you know done right i mean yeah. i know obviously colin baker and the six doctor have been have been done really really well with the big finish audios and stuff but if you look at the tv stuff the way he's kind of like written it's like it was a huge perhaps shock for viewers coming right after the the nice fifth doctor yeah to have doctor like that who was such a dramatic change that i think they kind of like looked at that and thought we'll do something similar for the 12th doctor but they did it in a better way yeah it's interesting this idea they returned to because paul cornell tried to do the same sort of thing in scream of the shalker didn't he yes he did Uh, yeah and that it's uh i really didn't like that at all Uh, Um, I mean, I, I don't mind Richard E. Grant. I think he's a great actor and stuff, but um, I thought he was awful. I mean, because he, he was always on the list, wasn't he, as a potential doctor? Yeah. Um, I think because he had a bit of exposure in America as well, even around the time of the TV movie, there was uh, he was often mentioned, wasn't he? Yeah, but I, I just thought he was, you know, um, really just wasn't right in that role at all. Mm. And, I'm kind of like glad that obviously Russell T Davis came along at the same time, and you know, the the TV show was resurrected. Because I know the original plan was to do um, a web series, wasn't it, with more yeah. um, uh, stories? Yeah, yeah. It would kind of been interesting to see uh, to see whether that went, whether they did change the character as it went on. But uh, so yeah, this scene where the the monks are. Uh, they're basically just guards, aren't they? This is where I felt like they would have a bit of more of a confrontation with the Doctor and speak to yeah, him. Yeah, just a little bit too easy getting to the like the end of the episode. Yeah. Like saying, no confrontation with them at all. Because the Doctor doesn't need the headphones. Another nice touch, I think, the Doctor doesn't need the headphones that he's mentally powerful enough to withstand it. Um, but it felt like, yeah, the, some kind of confrontation would sort of bookend you know, the adventure a bit where he's, you know, he's uh, he's talked to them in the previous ones. Interesting that Nardole needs the headphones as well, I thought, because there hasn't really been any sign up to this point in the story that he was trying Affected to... Affected Yeah, that he was having to resist it. Um, but I guess maybe it's just they're that close to the transmitter uh, now that uh, I really like his, uh, his neck pinch there. The, uh, yeah, he can only do it with one hand because uh, <laughs> the other one isn't as original. 
kind of a, <laughs> it's almost like a Morbius type figure, isn't he? Uh, Nardole, where he's uh, he's made up like loads pa- of different bits. I like this and again, room. The, we're in this like console like control area. Um, I thought it was a clever touch, whether they've done it deliberately or whether it was originally written in by um, Toby. But uh, at some point, when they're trying to switch the monks' signal off, you see Donald Trump's photo in one of the triangles. Yeah. Obviously, the doctor, as he pushes through the door, says "fake news central," and I thought that was uh, very, very uh, clever, just to subliminally. It's Drop excellent, that in. isn't it? Yeah, just to say it's um, yeah, really good. I really like it when it, it kind of reflects the real world a bit, especially what we've seen in the last couple of years, like with the Zygon story and then this one. Um, you know, that idea of having to resist and, and remember what's, what is real and uh, especially in the age of Trump and just, you know, kind of blatantly telling lies that are easily... Um, debunked and, and proven to be lies. He's. Uh, it, it works well as a as an analogy for that. And that's something that Doctor Who's always really, really done um, really well, hasn't it? Even like back in the seventies when uh, Barry Letts and Terence Dix did the whole like ecological stuff with the Green Death and everything. Yeah. That Doctor Who is very, very good at doing the whole allegory kind of thing that science fiction can do. Yeah. Yeah, this, this monk, like, yeah, like, the first time I watched it, I kept expecting him to sort of, uh, like you say, speak or kind of grab them or do something. Yeah, it's just, you're kind of conditioned watching kind of science fiction stuff maybe that you think the monster's always going to kind of rear up and... <laughs> You know, kind of attack they, them, give you a bit they, of a jump scare. Because yeah. at first I thought it was going to be a kind of like, very much like an Ekblong kind of city thing where that that monk that, that sat there is, is effectively dead and petrified but still linked in, in some way, still broadcasting. Yeah. But obviously it's obvious that that, that monk sat there is, is alive. So, yeah. again, it's straight have a dialogue with them. Yeah, it's just completely, uh, completely slave to the system, isn't it? I like this scene as well, with obviously um, Bill deciding that she, she does need to sacrifice herself, and she's obviously tied the Doctor up. And um, yeah. I don't know whether it's intentional, but I thought there was a nice little kind of um, symmetry there with um, silence in the library with what happened with River Song and the Tenth Doctor. Yeah, because she does the same thing. She handcuffs him, doesn't she? And uh, yeah, and then goes and to sacrifice herself. And again, obviously, we, if we weren't aware that Bill was still in the series, like later on, then you know potentially you might be thinking that this is the this is where you know she's unfortunately going to lose her life to save like the human race. Yeah. And she just sells it so well, doesn't she? She's she's brilliant, Pearl Mackey. So natural yeah, and uh, and and. Like Donald Trump. <laughs> there he is. Yeah. There was. Uh, I don't think I've spotted in the episode, but in the, in the next time trailer, you saw one of the monks kind of photobombing the Spice Girls as well, didn't you? <laughs> uh, 
kind of everybody else is kind of a world leader or a scientist or something and uh, <laughs> you got the Spice Girls up there as well. Yeah, and then this is uh, mentioned in the Mind Wipe as well. It's a little bit like the pilot, isn't it? That uh, the doctor resists wiping her memory at that point. Yeah. Yeah, very much like, obviously, he had to do Donna. Yeah, and uh, what happened to him with Clara as well. Yes. Which I thought was a nice little mm. twist on it, because normally it's always the doctor doing that to a companion or somebody. Yeah. And that it actually the doctor instead. Mm. Yeah, he's going back to what I was saying before about the companions. I think possibly something about the Stephen Moffat era is the companions do stay a little bit too long. Um, I think where where you had um, the tenth Doctor, he had a different companion each series. It it made his tenure sort of feel longer. It, um, Actually, was yeah, didn't it? Yeah, and it, it brought each companion brought something else out in him. It may maybe have been nice to see the eleventh and the twelfth Doctors have maybe you know another companion each. During the three yeah. years, because obviously you know the the character reacts differently to you know each companion yeah. in a slightly different way. So you know we're aspects of the twelfth Doctor that we never really got to see with with Clara because Clara was kind of like a, originally even from the start written as a very very confident yeah. uh, character. Like the, the doctor Where, taking credit for saving the world. Yeah, the the doctor uh, takes credit for saving the uh, the world here by giving Bill the photos. Um, but it was something she she already had going on with with her mum, wasn't it? The having the conversations with her and this kind of yeah. imagined relationship. Um, and quite a nice. Uh, it is what you get in a lot of dystopian fiction, isn't it, as well, that, um, you know, they try and control even your thoughts. Um, but, you know, there's a little part of you somewhere that, that they can't get to. I think it's in uh, V for Vendetta, isn't it, the uh, the line, uh, ideas are bulletproof. You can't, uh, there's nothing they can do about that. Yeah. And again, here we're seeing the monks and not really doing anything, and it's like it, it is quite strange for nothing really to yeah. happen with them. So it does ask the question whether or not they are going to come back as as the Cybermen. It does feel it, unresolved, doesn't it? That they even escape, that they're not sort of. There's not often an yeah. alien race don't get destroyed by the Doctor if they, especially if they've invaded Earth. Yeah, the pyramid just kind of like you no. Know, Goes up into space and disappears. Yeah. They stop short of seeing any, uh, showing any of the monks actually being uh, torn apart by the mob or uh, anything. Yeah, or captured or anything like that. Yeah. I thought this scene was very, very good. Obviously, it's, it's your typical thing of the human race will like never learn and they'll just yeah. ignore everything that happened before. Yeah, it's like the uh, Remembrance of the Daleks, isn't it? When uh, he asks Ace if uh, she remembers the, the Loch Ness Monster in the Thames or the, uh, the Yeti in the yes. underground. Under 
but I mean, there must be a lot of those statues all over the world. It's not just that one, is it? <laughs> well, I think he said earlier in the episode that they, they were there in every major city and yeah. like every like, open area because they were helping broadcast. The, yeah, they're in the, every park the, and everything. Rolling, um, like mind um, mm. of the monks. Yeah, maybe um, if there'd been if there hadn't been quite so many, it might have been e- easy to explain that way. Uh, but yeah, just, like you see, it feels like unfinished business. We never really found out what the monks were getting out of it, other than other than ruling. Yeah, um, you know, it wasn't that they were sort of. Uh, it didn't seem like they were collecting any sort of mineral wealth, or you know. Often you get, you know, the aliens are, are there to exploit the resources of, of, of invading a planet or something. They were just saying that they were coming to help, weren't they? Yeah. Uh, nice scene there, obviously, when um, Bill asks the doctor, well, why do you do it? And he says, well, in seven billion people, there's, yeah. there's somebody like you. Why I tolerate the rest of them. I thought that was a nice little uh, character moment between them. Yeah, definitely. That uh, is kind of a modern theme, isn't it, with the companions? That they are uh, there's something special about each of them that uh, that makes them choose them. Yes. Now I've got got Missy apparently full of remorse for all the people she's killed. Yeah, which again, obviously, is hopefully going to feed into later on in the series. Yeah. It made me think of the little uh, shrunken dolls from the Pertwee era when she said about that. Uh, oh, yeah. The tissue compression eliminator. And Tegan's yeah. Auntie Vanessa God. as well. I wonder if she was thinking about her. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then next we've got the Ice Warriors back. Which uh, looks like to be... Uh, it, from what you can see on that um, next time trailer, it kind of like looks as if it's going to be uh, Zulu, um, yeah. <laughs> but with Ice Warriors set on Mars. Yeah. Um, I, I yeah, just um, visually, it looks it looks really good. I think it's a great kind of mashup of genres, isn't it? And uh, which is something that obviously Mark Gatiss has, has done quite a, a lot, hasn't he? With um, uh, I know he, he got um, uh, absolutely. Um, Slagged off completely, but uh, Victory of the Daleks, yeah, uh, back in this first series, which um, you know, obviously, besides the redesigned Daleks, which obviously nobody liked, and then they quickly forgot that they'd ever happened. Yeah. I thought quite a very, uh, I thought that was a very good episode. You know, it yeah. looks to be another one in that vein. Yeah, I quite like that one. I like the, I like it when the Daleks are a bit sneaky like that. Um. And uh, yeah, kind of mashing it up with a with a World War Two film. Uh, and again, sorry, it go goes back to what I said earlier about there are some episodes that you think would benefit from being a lot longer. And I thought at the time, Victory of the, Victory of the Daleks would have been a a better story had it been a two parter. It seemed as if they, they were cramming too much into that. 45 minutes they could have made a lot more of those Daleks being very sneaky and very like you know working behind the scenes and suspicious pretending to be your friend and your servant and and then ended that on a cliffhanger and then had the rest of the episode as as part two yeah Um, 
Yeah, had the had the Daleks managed to turn, uh, you know, the Churchill and the and the and the, the army against the Doctor a bit, so he's the kind of the lone voice. Yeah, could have spun out a bit more. Yeah, because Gators has never done a two-parter, has he? You know, as much uh, as, no, as many no, stories no, as he's no, written, he's never no. had that. It would be interesting to see what he did with it. I think. Yeah. Uh, by all accounts, Chibnall isn't having any returning writers, um, at least for Series 11. Um, yeah, this room is put together, is it a writer's room or something? To... Yeah, be interesting to see if that, that comes about. Um, but yeah, it'd be a shame if some, if some of the uh, some of the writers didn't come back. Well, I mean, I think one of the best writers that they've had the last couple of years uh, is uh, Jamie Matheson. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it has been absolutely amazing. Um, I think the two best episodes of Series 8 were the Mummy on the Orient Express and Flatline. Yeah. Uh, I thought those were absolutely, you know, pure classics straight away. And obviously he wrote Oxygen this series, didn't he? Um, yeah. The, who died is it from series 9 yeah yeah I'm sure it is yeah yeah, yeah um, be interesting to see if he's a future showrunner even because um, that's the kind of calibre isn't it that the uh, writers that they've got Cause Peter Harness um, who's, who's always done the last two or three series as well He's he did Jonathan Strange and Doc, uh, no Jonathan Strange and Mr Norrell isn't it Yes, um, yeah. That series, which I enjoyed a lot, and he's doing an adaptation of War of the Worlds next. So he's got that kind of showrunner experience that you know, I mean, you know, in a few years' time, maybe he'll he'll be in a position to take over as well. Yeah, I mean, that's why uh, I was surprised with the whole um, Chris Chibnall being uh, announced because I thought, you know, going back to this episode written by Toby Whithouse, uh, creator of Being Human, he's showrun that. Uh, that was a, a big successful. Series for BBC Three. I thought, yeah. you know, I thought he was doing for a, a potential Doctor Who showrunner, but I don't know whether he was offered it or whether he's declined it or whether he's just happy to write the odd episode now and again. But I thought he would, potentially would have been, uh, you know, Stephen Moffat's successor. Yeah, yeah, or even Mark Gatiss. Yes, yeah. so someone who's obviously co-show ran Sherlock and uh, you know got a, got a lot of experience. In the industry, and I've been running like the League of Gentlemen with the uh, the other writers at that as well. Yeah. So he got that experience of like being in charge of shows and stuff. It'd be interesting, I guess. In it, I mean, I guess it'll be a couple of decades' time. You'll find out kind of what all the back behind the scenes shenanigans were. You know, in the way that you now know pretty much everything about the classic series, don't you? What was going on? Yeah. Yeah. That's one of the things I did like about, obviously, the end of the Russell T. Davis era, that I, he then released that book, didn't he, about... Yeah. Uh, which was gave you an insight into how things had happened and stuff, and obviously um, told us that potentially David Tennant was very, very close to changing mind about leaving and nearly did Series 5, so we might we might not have got Matt Smith, you know. Yeah. Uh, Those kind I think of... Oh. Story to be told about that era, and obviously, no one's quite sure about the whole Christopher Eccleston reasons for why he left. There's lots of rumors around, isn't there? And there's half truths and stuff, but yeah. that story, I think, 
built to come out. It, it'll be interesting to find out eventually. Yeah, yeah, what happened there? It's interesting the the kind of yeah the road not travelled, isn't it? Because by all accounts, Matt Smith was in a similar position where he was almost there, for, you know, and and the recently said Peter Capaldi as well. He was very close to signing on for another series. Yeah, uh, you know what? And, well, I mean, it has been very vocal, hasn't he? Uh, last like couple of years, saying that he's left too early. Yeah, um, I think Peter Davidson also said something similar, but I think he waited for a good uh, ten years or so before he started saying things yeah. like that. But I know he expressed his regret that he didn't do a fourth series. Yeah. Um, and yeah. we do seem to be stuck in this cycle, which you know is what again another reason why I was a bit disappointed that Peter Capaldi had announced that he was leaving. We seem to be stuck in this cycle now of. Uh, the doctors do three series and a few specials, and then they're gone. Yeah. Uh, and I just like one actor to perhaps like stick around and be there a little bit longer, and so mm. we can have, like you say, more interactions with different companions and see more aspects of how they play the character and stuff. Um, which is, you know, we're not quite getting with like certainly with Matt Smith and. Uh, Capaldi. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. I think, and I, I kind of hoped at the beginning that Peter Capaldi, with him being such a long-term Doctor Who fan, um, yeah. would stay and, and build that sort of legacy that, you know, uh, of being the Doctor for, you know, a couple of, not sort of generations, but, you know, a couple of kind of waves of kids who are, who are hitting that age of, um, uh, you know, getting into it. Yes. Um, yeah. yeah, and it would be really interesting to see a doctor straddle the the kind of the tenures of a of two showrunners as well. Yeah, because again, it, it kind of like people say, "Oh, well, it's tradition now," and it's like, "Well, it only happened once. It yeah. only happened." <laughs> Russell D. Davis and David Tennant left. It's not really a tradition, but now because obviously Stephen Moffat and Peter Capaldi are leaving at the same time. Yeah. It because it's happened the second time. It, it's almost as if it's going to now come into be a set tradition that a doctor will always leave when a showrunner leaves and it's it's a bit of a shame that yeah, it's it helps to cement it doesn't it, it, it it's a shame. yeah because yeah. if you had that back in the classic series you'd never have the whole different aspects of of Tom Baker's fourth doctor where he went from gothic to um, slightly comedic then completely over the top and then very sombre in his last series yeah. you know had a a full over seven different series, huge different aspects of like the same character of yeah. the fourth Doctor. Something that we we don't really get in the modern series. No, no, it, it and it just seems like five minutes since he was announced as well. <laughs> it he does, yeah, there. doesn't it? Yeah, just just like we're just just kind of uh, getting used to him, and he and he's on his way. Get even more so than than Matt Smith. It, it feels really, really quick quickly over yeah whereas I think with David Tennant as much as I was a huge Tennant fan uh, and I've been a huge fan of the last three modern doctors uh, Christopher Appleston yeah. I didn't really warm to um, but I think that's purely because he by the time his first episode aired he'd, it had already leaked that he was leaving it was kind of like a case of like oh right okay yeah so he really, I didn't have a chance for him to grow on me or warm, warm to him uh, no disrespect to the actor, I think I thought he did a brilliant job of uh, revitalising the show. Yeah, I yeah I never quite quite bought him as the Doctor. 
I think, again, I think he's an excellent actor and I've liked him in almost everything. But I didn't feel he had the eccentricity quite down that that the others have, uh, have brought to it since. Yeah. Um, but I like, yeah, it's a good thing because you listen to podcasts and read stuff and I like the idea of him playing it. But then there's a few moments when you when you watch his series where I think, oh, yeah, he's, he's like the Doctor. Um, there's a bit in... Uh, the Unquiet Dead, when the uh, the, the, oh, the Gwyneth is uh, opening the the portal for the uh, I can't what they call now the gas the gel the gel, and then yeah. he says something like, "Uh oh, I think it's gone a bit wrong." And I thought, "Oh, that's a really doctory moment," but I don't feel he has that many of those. No, um, no. you know that being able to turn on a dime from. You know, deadly serious. It's the end of the world. To quite kind of quirky. Yeah, he's, um, I think his quirky moments were a bit too broad. Yeah, you just you kind of grinned a lot as as a as a way of being quirky. I think. Yeah, yeah. But he, he given the opportunity, he you know kind of another series growing into it. It'd been really interesting to see what he did. And again, it's like it's that wish list, isn't it? If he ever ever changed his mind and decided to do Big Finish yeah. uh, we'd then see a completely different aspect to the Ninth Doctor um, because again he's expanding his era like through them yeah. uh, like Colin Baker has and Sylvester McCoy has you know two Doctors that um, you know were arguably weren't given a good enough run on, on TV because of the way the show was treated back in like those you know, the late 80s. Yeah. And Paul McGann, especially as well, given, you know, given how yeah. little of the TV movie he's actually the Doctor once he remembers who he is. Um, it's brilliant that we've got so many stories with him now. Uh, oh, yeah. I, I love uh, his big finished stuff. Uh, absolutely fantastic. Uh, and I loved it that they, they brought him back for the, the little uh, mini episode. Yeah. Um, yeah which, uh, again, it was a little bit then gutted that they then didn't like try and coax him to then or whether they didn't write it that way for him to turn up at, at the end of day of the doctor as well yeah yeah that would have been a nice uh, a nice touch to have him in there as well um but i guess for the for the wider audience isn't it it's he's not he's not that well known as the doctor true yeah and if, if you've got the chance of either having john hurt as your guest doctor yeah it, the episode or bringing back Paul McGann, I can see why the, you know, once Christopher Eccleston said he wasn't doing it, that why they went for John Hurt. Yeah, definitely. And um, Big Finish have announced this week a new companion for the Eighth Doctor um, for the Time War series. Oh, yeah, I've seen that, yeah. Which is interesting because I like the, um, the pairing of Helen and Liv that they've had in Doom Coalition. Yeah, I've only just listened to the, I've only just got to the, uh, First volume of Doom Coalition, which I've recently listened to, so uh, I've really enjoyed that. Yeah, I uh, the whole series is brilliant. Really, really good. I like Dark Eyes, but I think Doom Coalition for me is is slightly better. Um, I think because it's conceived as a as one long story, whereas I think Dark Eyes it was they did the first one uh, and then they made the second one, um, but it hadn't been planned. Whereas Doom Coalition. The stories of that just weave together so well. Uh, it's, yeah, it's a great story. Really, really good. 
So, anything else on Lie of the Land? Uh, no, I think we've covered most of it. Like I said, uh, I liked it. Good episode. Not a classic. Um, I think we perhaps could have benefited from fleshing out that, you know, totalitarian 1984-style world, which we didn't really see a glimpse, much of a glimpse of. Um, but, you know, another good, solid episode from uh, Toby. But, yeah, slightly disappointing in some areas uh, where we didn't see a proper, um, you know, confrontation with the monks. But, again, you know, um, Peter and Pearl absolutely knocked it out of the park as usual. Definitely. Yeah, that, that for me is, is the slight disappointment. Um, it, there wasn't a proper confrontation in the finale there. Uh, so, um, you're on Twitter as at DjangoMac72. Yeah, that's me. J-A-N-G-O-M-A-C 72. Um, I am at Trap1 underscore. Um, you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, um, like us on Facebook, uh, say follow on Twitter. Uh, join me next week when I'll be discussing uh, The Empress of Mars uh, with Kerry. You'll be back on the podcast. Thanks for listening. We'll see you then. Thank <laughs> you.